and welcome to this very first podcast, everyone. This is the Growth Mindset as podcast with me, Jay Arnott, hosted from the northeast of England, the sunny northeast of England. And online today, we've got Farah Lutviger, who is based in Amsterdam, and she was once the world's youngest NLP trainer. She's also a youth coach, and she's got lots of different skills and a very unique mindset. So welcome aboard, Farah. It's your 22nd birthday today, so happy birthday to you. Would you like to um, start with a question? Who are you? Oh, well, I appreciate it so much (laughs) that we're having this talk and that you invited me up here on my birthday. So who am I? Um, I live in Amsterdam and I give NLP trainings. Also have my own practice space in Amsterdam and I'm passionate about helping people you know, get to the next level in their lives, really up-level themselves and experience more possibility in what's in the quality of their lives. I'm really passionate about that. Yeah. So is this your big driving force? Is is this the thing that compels you forward, changing people's lives? Yes, very much. Yeah. So how do you do that? How do you change people's lives? What kind of people's lives do you change well i think to myself um people want change but they don't want to be changed so yeah. if, if i'm gonna change people i i guess i just guide them and they they help themselves and i've just spent uh these last six years seven mm-hmm. years practicing and learning the tools in which i can which I can use to guide them to have this change. So we're talking about hypnotherapy, hypnosis in practical use. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about NLP, neurolinguistic programming. So it's it's how to to speak and um, do in a way where somebody can take on a change, mm-hmm. so that they can really experience it for themselves. Yeah. I believe in uh, as much in talking as in experiencing the change. So for me, my outcome point is whenever I have a client or a course, I want them to have experienced something. I don't mm-hmm. want to just have talked and talked and talked. Yeah. I want them to literally feel the effects of what it is that I'm teaching that could be of use for them in their lives right away at this very moment. Mm -hmm. So you're talking like some kind of implicit learning, some kind of sensory learning. What, what, how do you do that? So, yeah, I mean, now we're going into how to teach, right? Um, I mean, there's a difference between learning things and then actually teaching it back to others. They're, two different uh, things. So in order to teach something in a way that somebody will get it and use it and apply it, um, you got to, at least that's what I've seen working, you got to go to all the different stages in which they could earn this. So tell a story, 
give an example, let them experience it. Give another example, um, another story, mm -hmm. practical uses, so they can feel it for themselves. Yeah. And, and, and you know, when, when I, for example, when I explain uh, something, a certain technique or pattern, I, I ask them, okay, so what did I do? I don't just expect that they've got it right away. Yeah. Well, with practice, it, it comes with practice. Yeah. Well, they, they say that practice, the mother of skill is practice. Yeah. So you just gotta do it, repeat, repeat it, repetition, repetition. So if that's the base of learning, then for me, it's everything I do is based on repetition. Mm -hmm. Somebody can hear something for once and think it's a good idea, but when they really get it, they'll implement it. And for that, sometimes they just need to hear it or yeah. feel it a lot of times. Yeah. So this is kind of how suggestion works, positive suggestion. If yeah. you repeat something over and over again, you start believing it or you start feeling it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you've talked about NLP. There's going to be people watching this video or listening to this podcast and they'll be thinking, what on earth is NLP? I've heard things about NLP. It's the study of the structure of subjective experience. It's the <laughs> modeling of excellence. I mean, what's your, what's your angle on NLP? Uh, what, what does it mean to you? Yeah. So I have just two words to describe NLP which is practicing flexibility. I think it's all about increasing your behavioral choice that you have in any particular moment. Mm -hmm. So when you tend to get frustrated or overwhelmed or uh, just any of those negative emotions because something happens, you are reacting, you're not responding. And NLP to me is a practice of learning how to respond learning how to be flexible in your behavior so that you don't only do something a particular way, but you actually do the best thing yeah. or have the best behavior for that particular moment at that particular time. So you're not stuck with something. Mm -hmm. And if you have choice, you're, you know, you don't have, I would say you have challenges, but you don't have problems. Yeah. It's really what, what we want to get after. If people feel stuck, they want to get out of it. And the way that they can get out of it is to have choice. If yeah. they have choice, that means they practice flexibility. So it just ties in with everything in life. Brilliant. So, yeah, there's a couple of things I've heard in NLP, which is the expression state first and what's the other one? Um, yeah, state choice. State yeah. choice. So... How would you define state first or state choice particularly? How would you Yeah, I mean, your state uh, determines the way that you will respond to things. If, if I'm in a lousy state, I'll see lousy things around me and I'll think lousy things. But if I, and this is the thing I have control over, I actually have control over how I move my body or how I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. or where I'm looking, if I'm looking up or down, of my state. I have choice mm -hmm. to influence my own state. So if I use this choice, especially in moments where I don't feel like I have much choice, 
then I'm actually practicing flexibility. Yeah. So state choice is an excellent way in which you can immediately sense or see the effects of NLP in its purest form. Mm-hmm. Because it all starts and ends with a good state. If you are in a good state, um, whatever will happen, you'll find a way out. You'll find a solution. You'll find... Um, you'll, and also that self-worthiness. Yeah, I'm a big believer of self-worth, of mm-hmm. believing yourself. Yeah. If you truly believe in yourself, you won't put up with drama. You'll just dissolve pain and anger because it, it's just not aligning with you. So in its most essential form, state choice is actually really wise. You know, people might say to you, well, you have it so easy. You're always happy. You're always chill. You're always good. <laughs> but we all experience challenges. It's not yeah. like you won't have any challenges. It's not, it's not a magic pill. But it yeah. will, it's about the resilience for you to be able to deal with everything yeah. in a way that is most beneficial to you and then, of course, to other people. So does uh, personal awareness play a big part in that? Yes. Yes, of course. But I don't know how to teach that. <laughs> self-awareness that comes from self I don't know how to teach that yeah I'm starting to think about like the perceptual positions and things like that you know how we could possibly use them but um, Farah and I are both NLP trainers which is very interesting there's two yeah. schools of thought isn't there on the NLP there's the there's the Bandler camp and the Grinder <laughs> camp which one are you which one is me? Yeah. I'm the Farah camp. The Farah camp, yeah. All right. No, I'm, I'm serious because I take, uh, the way I, I see it is I go to a lot of courses and I just take what resonates with me and what I can, you know, think about more and then apply it in my own way. For example, um, I'll give you a very practical example. I've, came, I've come up with this metaphor. It's called the teddy bear principle. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So, for example, like maybe you you know uh, the feeling you had when you were small and you had a certain teddy bear or something you were attached to, like a, a toy, a piece of a, a thing that, yeah, I don't know, maybe you didn't have that. But a lot of people could relate to this, where they would have this piece of something yeah. when they were small that they were really attached to. And I call that the teddy bear principle, because if it's a teddy bear, let's say it's a teddy bear, and you give it a certain name, like, for example, I had a lion, it was called Lucky, a super, mm-hmm. I still have it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody at that point, when I have that teddy bear in my hands, goes, oh, here you have another teddy bear, you want to swap? Yeah. I go like, no, are you crazy? I'm like, I've invested so much time, energy, connection, and attachment to, I have attachment to this, I'm not going to swap it with yours. Mm-hmm. And that's that same feeling is what I feel like uh, happens with limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. Right? If you believe you're ugly and then somebody presents you a teddy bear of, oh, you're beautiful. You yeah. go like, no, I'm attached to my teddy bear. Like, oh, this, is, this seems so far off. Can't resonate yeah. with that. So um, this is 
this principle, I mean, I've heard it in, a, in various ways explained, like get out of your comfort zone or blah, blah, like those things. But I take all of those things and I make a little Farah metaphor to it or a story or uh, add pieces, distract pieces. So that, you know, provocative way that Bandler has, I love it. Mm-hmm. And I use that, but I also like that delicate, you know, very formal way that John Grinder has. So yes. it's about, I take what I see and then I make a Farah mix out of it because I don't want to be that John Grinder kid or yeah. Bandler kid. I want to be the Farah kid. Yeah. Because people learn from me, not from another teacher. If they want to learn from another teacher, they go to that other teacher. So I have this unique blend that I'm proud of that I think everyone should have in their own way because that's what really makes you stand out. Mm -hmm. They want to, you know, like, for example, people go to coaching with you because you are you, not because you have, you look like another trainer, but because you're unique. I don't want to look like Richard Bandler or... No. <laughs> I'm old enough as it is. But yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how I think. Yeah, that's, that's oh. a really good analogy there. Yeah, so you kind of take things and you blend it and uh, use that to present your personality. So yeah, you, you talked about uh, little kids there for a moment and you kind of piqued, piqued my interest there because you're a youth coach, aren't you? You do youth coaching. That's one of your things. Is that right? Yes. Um, what do you do with the youth coaching side of things? Yes. So, so I actually, this year, I decided to go all in on just one particular thing, and that is exam stress. Yeah. If there are young people that struggle with their exams, and mm. tomorrow, actually, in the Netherlands, for most people, High school exams are over, so that's very exciting. So uh, how to manage stress, really, that's what it comes down to. So um, I have an aspiration to talk on schools and to really, you know, I've set out a goal. Maybe you've seen it on my Facebook, but I want to give a big event in two years' time to 500 people. 500, yeah. Yes. I want to create... A following mm-hmm. between now and then in order to have those young people come on and learn things they can use for their lives right away all of the things uh, that I've learned is not rocket science it's not really hard it's just a, ma- a matter of doing it and practicing it and I've come to the point where I'm so convinced of this stuff that I want to spread it, especially to people that usually don't come across this. The mm-hmm. way I've come across it, NLP and stuff, it's not because of school. I didn't hear from NLP in schools. Mm-hmm. I hear from universities that they do something with hypnotherapy. I had to you know, go on a search for myself mm-hmm. and be open for new experiences. I didn't come from my family it's not like I have this hypnotic 
Celtic NLP family where I'm just brought up with it. I'm the first one in my family to start with this all. You know? So yeah. if, if I can make this mainstream for young people, I think that will be beneficial not only for them, but for the lives that they will touch in their, in their lifetime. And yeah. that is a personal story. Um, that's, you know, some of these things that drive us forward, our big life ambitions, our, our compelling dreams, our mission in life, uh, the things that we want to change about the world are often connected to who we are as people. Do you have a personal connection with the, the, the youth concept or the exam stress thing? How did this thing come about? Yes. So um, actually this starts a bit before I discovered NLP. Um, as, as you know, I told you before, I was a very awkward kid. And uh, I, I was this awkward that uh, I kind of got bullied mm-hmm. in the sense that in the first year of high school, um, just kind of got rejected to be hanging out with anybody in my class. I uh, was making homework for everybody. And I just saw a lot of those weird experiences. Like I started smoking and I was 13, you know, like very weird stuff because I wanted to fit in. And everyone in my class, um, you know, the cool kids at least, they came late or they didn't do their assignments. So I thought, oh, in order to fit in, I need to do this. So I've had the intelligence, at least in the IQ tests, but my grades were not showing it. The way I was interacting was not showing it. So came to the point where the school was so toxic for me that I had to change schools. And I was depressed, suicidal, just in a very bad place and so insecure. And I thought there was no way out. And for me to have discovered this, this survival mechanism, this way of feeling fulfilled through a methodology, really, which is NLP, I, I came to realize at some point, wow, there must be so many people that felt like I did, yeah. but that don't know this. Wow. I, and it's my mission. It's like why I stand up every day, why I believe in a vision that is, um, I can't share it with everybody, of course, because it sounds a bit far off, but it's something I truly believe in because I know that somebody out there right now is alive at this point in time that needs to hear the things that I learned mm-hmm. because they will become better because of it. Okay. So it was because of, I was in such a dark place and I have transformed myself so dramatically. Yeah, I've literally shifted every single limiting belief I have about my you know, I thought I was stupid. I thought, you know, I couldn't amount to anything. I thought I couldn't learn anything. And I thought that I had to just fit in and just do drugs and have to smoke all my life and stuff like that. And I've stopped all of that. I've transformed all of that. And now I'm living a much better life because I'm not in that destruction that I used to be. So if that's a gift that NLP has given me, I feel like it's almost like my duty to give that back. Yeah. Because it, it just, I'm sorry to say, but it sucks to be in a horrible place. Yeah. It sucks. And I know there's a way out. 
So I, I can't like I can't live with myself if I'm not gonna give that back. I think that's that would be selfish of me. So that's that's really like the backstory behind it. Yeah. So I've really hit on some of your deepest values there about doing stuff for others and giving back and things yeah. like that. So that's that's really awesome. Um, so it's wonderful hearing your story right from the beginning all the way up to this present moment now and you want to pass on that message um yes. i'm just wondering as this is a, a podcast about mindset and the growth mindset and elevating people like yourself so that other people can see the good work that you're doing and your unique mindset uh, what do you do to keep your mind set you know to keep your mind in a good place because Anything could happen. The world's unpredictable. Tomorrow, you know, you could lose where you live, you know, you could uh, split up with your partner. These things happen. Uh, how do you deal with that? What do you do to keep keep set? Yes, very good question. So the way I see it is that um, for me every day I need to give something. Even if it's just a little thing to somebody random or somebody that I know, I, you know, I'll stand up in the tram to, for somebody else to sit or I'll give a nice compliment. Or if I haven't done anything generous, uh, I am not on the right path because if I only focus on me, mm-hmm. I won't focus on what I can give. Yes. There, then I, I kind of use that as a perimeter. I know something's wrong. I need to talk to somebody. I need to get out of my slumber. Mm-hmm. So to keep my mindset, I think of like what's the ratio between um, how much I think of me versus how much I'm thinking of serving others. Yes. Yeah. And if that's in the balance, like that needs to, I can't just, you know, this miss myself of course self-care is a huge thing but if that's the, if that's in balance and i know i'm on the right path and know my mind set like you mm-hmm. said and if it's not then i either need to take more care of me or i need to take more care of others and that needs to be in the balance yeah what what does the growth mindset mean to you this word that that um we hear all the time now, uh, mindset, but also growth mindset. What what does growth growth and mindset together mean to you? Growth mindset means being willing to go out of your comfort zone on a regular basis. Yeah, we've and talked about this before, haven't we? About feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Have you got an example of where you've went out of your comfort zone to challenge yourself? Yeah, I mean, like a few days ago, I made a, I made this poem, uh, and it's called The Greatness That You Are. Maybe you've seen it on Facebook. And this is a poem I made uh, a while ago, like half a year ago, and I was so nervous to post it. Like, I've gone completely into my feeling and my passion, and it's. I was like, should I post it, should I not should and then I thought at that moment, okay, this is it. This, it, this is that moment where you just got to do it. Yeah. Because you, you do it anyway, and that's the moment of, you know, of, of overcoming yourself, over, of, in, the, in that you say, overwinner, 
you mm-hmm. you you achieve a level of fulfillment because you've gone beyond the borders of what you thought was possible for yourself. So I posted that mm-hmm. as an act of service, and I felt really good about it after I did it. Of course, in a moment, I was scared. Yeah. I did it anyway. It's certainly interesting what you're saying about service and you know this concept of uh, being vulnerable and accepting yourself and being aware and giving things to other people first because in the Western world, we just see so much about abundance and growth, about getting more and more material wealth, yeah. see things about a create a six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure business overnight yeah. by doing seven simple steps. And it seems to be all about what you can get out of the world. But yeah, these kind of morning rituals. You have to have something in order to give. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything bad with that. It's just what you do with it. Like, for example, okay, I'm going to tell you uh, one of the things. Like, the way I assess people is on is how much do they give? <laughs> yeah. How, 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 how much generosity do they have in their character? Yeah. I don't care about their status because they can make money, lose money, go bankrupt, create a business. Yeah. You know, that's all, you know, but, you know, it's like a cycle. It can come and go and it's all fine. But, but this value-driven uh, mindset where somebody is, coming from a place of generosity, I think that's that's my number one thing. So I won't go to a speaker or a course or read a book from somebody that I sense is not generous. I yes. don't care how much they know. I don't care how rich they are. If they don't care about people because they're stuck up in, in their world of how amazing they are, yeah. I'm just not going to do it. I can't, I can't support that. It goes beyond my values. And I don't want to be that person either. So that's, so my value is also to be generous. Yeah. This is really refreshing for me because this is one of my deepest values of generosity. You know, I love giving to people. And people tell me sometimes that I give too much to people. And <laughs> I should put a higher price on things and stuff like that. But I actually enjoy giving to people, and it's really refreshing to know that there's other people out there like yourself who, you know, enjoy that that concept of giving to people to make yourself feel good. And, yeah, I'm sure it's good for your health. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be that good for your bank balance, but, yeah, I, I think long-term it is because – there's, there's something about giving things out and, you know, things return yeah. back eventually. Yeah. I, you know, do you know Louise Hay? Um, she, she passed away a few years ago. She had yeah. this metaphor, yeah. and I love yeah. it. Uh, I think of it a lot of times where she goes, okay, so imagine that you have this gift and you give it to somebody on their birthday, mm-hmm. and they go like, you got that for me, really? Like, I didn't want that. Are you fucking kidding me? Kind of yeah. like <laughs> And you're like, okay, I'm never going to buy you another present. Like, gee. But if yeah. that per- if you're going to give that gift and then that person is like, oh, 
I am so thankful for it. I'm so grateful. Thanks. That's exactly what I was looking for. Uh, yeah. That gratitude, that is going to reciprocate mm-hmm. in the way that the person will want to give you another gift on your birthday next time. Yeah. So if we are generously giving and we, we also are willing to receive generosity mm-hmm. and, we, and we really embrace it, Rather than just go like, oh, well, thanks, but not, none, I didn't really need it. Then things happen for us. They don't happen to us. I think, like, I don't know much about the non-physical world and how this all works and this spiritual side of things. <laughs> but I do believe that, I don't know in what form, but this karma thing exists in some way. Yeah. If I do good, good comes back. And even if it wouldn't exist, I always think to myself, there's more benefit to believing it does than it mm-hmm. doesn't. So I'm just going to believe it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a big, uh, yeah, it's really cool of you also to be um, big on generosity. That's yeah. a great thing. Wonderful. Yeah, and you're going to get lots of generous gifts today, aren't you? Because it's your 22nd birthday and... Yeah. yeah, this is why I put this on this podcast because I wanted to be generous to you. It was quite a short time frame, and you've been very generous to me, helping me out with technology <laughs> and things. But yeah, it's great to share the generosity. Um, yeah, so we're getting pretty much towards the end of this uh, short interview. But you know, um, you, there's lots of these different quotes out there from different people, but like the Gandhi quote be the change that you want to see in the world. Yeah. If you are that change, what is it you want to see? If I am that change. Yeah, what's what's the change that you I want to see in have, the world that you can influence? Yeah. Then I would just want to give a few takeaways for people to consider. And that is to feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. There is somebody that needs your gift. Mm-hmm. If nobody in your surroundings or your friends right now understand or even come close to be compassionate to your innate desires and dreams, no matter how weird you'll seem like or no matter how much of an outcast you'll be, do it anyway. Wow. At some point in time, people will actually come back to you and say, whoa, can't believe you've done that. You've been so lucky. yeah it's true i'm kind of in that phase myself i used to be an outcast and now people are asking me wow how did you turn up uh, to have this uh, success and you're so young well there was a lot of sacrifice for it so you know to me it's like that stubbornness that you have Mm-hmm. that doesn't want to listen to what other people tell you you should do because it's better, safer. That stubbornness you have of something that's inside of you, follow that voice because it's going to yeah. be worth it. You will see it over time. Brilliant. Okay then, Farah, is, is there anything else you'd like to add? We're pretty much coming to a close now. It's been wonderful. And I've got some really good insights, some insights. I knew you beforehand, but I'd I didn't know certain aspects of your personality, like the thing about the generosity, how much of a driving force that is in everything you do. So that's a real takeaway for for me, the generosity thing. 
is there anything else that you'd like to say before we close off this first ever podcast? First, I want to say that I'm really proud of you, Jay, for <laughs> setting up a, a space of people for people can share their hearts. And I, I want to acknowledge you for your courage that you have to be able and willing to help people in the level that you do. I really admire it. Thank you very much. I'm getting tearful now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very good at taking generosity, so I have to work on that. I'm good at giving, but I'm not very good at receiving. Yeah, so thanks a lot, and thanks for all your help, and hopefully we'll catch up in the northeast of England or Amsterdam very, very soon. Yeah, it would be fun. Right, thanks for taking the call and see you soon. See you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.